Aha. Psalm 26. Psalm 26. My wife, as a word of encouragement, as we were coming to church today, said, so you're on Psalm 26 today? I said, yes. And she said, are you serious? Are you and Chuck going to go through all of them? So I felt encouraged. <laughs> and I realized it was that painful for the listener. Psalm 26. So next week, no Bible study. The following week, Lord willing, Brother Chuck will continue in Psalm 27. So not next week, no Bible study. Resurrection Sunday. You realize if it wasn't for the event which we will acknowledge next week, we would be meeting for no good reason. I mean, it's the resurrection that gives us hope, right? What's the point of meeting together if we don't have a risen Savior? You know, but he's up from the grave. You see, he arose, and we celebrate that reality every day. But as a congregation, we'll do so next week. Okay, who wrote Psalm 26? How do you know? Okay, there you go. You don't have to yell. I'm just asking you a question. But you see, you want to be, take note of that because uh, David did not write all the Psalms, did he? No, see, I just want to point that out. There are other psalm writers in this collection of 150. He's the majority writer, but he didn't write all 150. He wrote this one because it says so. We know he did. We don't know the circumstances, uh, the historic circumstances surrounding this particular psalm. We can speculate a little bit, which we may do in a few minutes. Look how it begins. Vindicate me, O Lord. Now, if you said something like that, that was your situation. You were motivated to make that petition of God, as was David. Vindicate me, O Lord. What would you surmise is the situation? What's, what may be going on with him now? Have any idea? Absolutely. He's been accused of wrongdoing. And he's looking for God to render the ultimate verdict. You vindicate me. I've been accused, David would say, falsely so. I'm not going to defend myself in front of them. I want you to adjudicate the matter. Now, as I mentioned, we don't know the specific situation. It could be Saul opposing him in some way. We don't know exactly. But he's come under false accusation. And don't you find it to be no small measure of comfort to know ultimately God will render the verdict regarding you and me? If you're a Christian... Shouldn't that be a source of comfort? In spite of what people think, God's ultimate verdict about you is what really matters. And here's his verdict. Case dismissed. Full and free pardon. It is finished. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus. Paid in full. So we stand before God. I'm taking some liberties here. And the evil one, the accuser of the brethren, does that very thing, brings charges against us. And our number one advocate, the Lord Jesus, stands up and says, Father, what the evil one has said about your son or your daughter is indeed true. However, I suffered and died in his or her place. And the father picks up a gavel, if there is such a thing, and boom, it's down, and he says, case dismissed, paid in full. But the judge doesn't only dismiss his case against us. He says, now come and be with me forever. Yeah. 
I mean, there's no judge on earth who, even if he dismisses the case against you, says, hey, come home for lunch. But the judge of all says, come into heaven with me forever. So I hope you're comforted in knowing ultimately you will be vindicated by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. So though you may be falsely accused of things here and now, in fact, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what it says. That hurts. That's hard. That's a heavy load. So I hope this is a source of comfort. But we could say, vindicate me, O Lord. Now, what is the basis of his um, um, uh, justification. How is he appealing to God? He says, vindicate me, O Lord, look, for I've walked in my integrity. So does that mean sinless perfection? It really can't mean that, huh? One word, Bathsheba. So that kind of rules out the I have not sinned thing. If integrity does not mean sinless perfection, and if David is not claiming, I'm perfect, I'm sinless, therefore render a just verdict, then what is he saying? What does integrity mean? He said, I have operated according to my integrity. What does that mean? Anyone have some kind of explanation or definition of integrity for us? Yeah, well, there's no integrity in this class. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Wow, that is really good. I wish I said that. So did you hear that? Um, singleness of purpose, uh, wholehearted devotion, not sinlessly perfect. Was that, was that generally not bad? So you should listen to me as much as I listen to you. Hey, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so look, not sinlessly perfect, singleness of devotion, wholehearted devotion. That's what integrity means. It means consistency. It means you don't have a public persona and a private persona, and the two are in conflict with one another. It means you're not singing songs of praise in church on Sunday and sinning privately on Monday. So that would be inconsistent. Integrity means a harmony in the parts. We're made up of different parts. What we think, what we say, what we do. Integrity means there's harmony in the parts. So for instance, if you say one thing and do another, that would be a lack of integrity. If a famous personage makes a promise and does not uh, abide by it, that would be a lack of integrity. If a famous personage speaks about family values uh, but is doing that which is bringing harm to his own family, let's say, we would say that that would be a lack of integrity. Uh, if a, a famous personage uh, was blatantly out there about his or her pattern of sin, we would not say that's a lack of integrity. <laughs> we would say that person is pretty consistent. What that person says, that person does. What David is saying is not that he is a perfect person and therefore God vindicate me. On the contrary, he's saying I have consistently thrown myself upon your grace and mercy. <laughs> I have consistently looked to you.
I have consistently accepted your pardon and forgive. Now, we don't know if this is before or after the Bathsheba incident, so I can't really bring that into the situation. We don't know historically where this particular psalm is placed. But you need to know, when you claim integrity, you're claiming constancy and consistency and not perfection. And so he's saying, you know, they're accusing me of something, which is not true. As a matter of integrity, I've not done those things. I have spoken out against those things. I have lived in a, in a consistent way. He says, in fact, I, I've trusted in you, Lord, without wavering. And then he says, therefore, examine me, O Lord. Try me, test my mind and heart. So he's saying, you are a heart-searching God. Search me. I'm wide open. I have nothing to hide. As a matter of integrity, I, I behave in full view of people the way I do when I'm apart from people. What, someone in the last class said integrity is something, uh, I forgot how she put it, something like um, what you're like when the lights go down. Right. Have you heard that one before? That's a good one, don't you think? Yeah. So David is saying, God, when the lights go down, you see you can see in the darkness. Examine me. Try me. Test me. I'm not, I'm not hiding anything. Judge me. Vindicate me. So let me ask you a question. But don't, obviously don't answer this out loud. It's just between you and the Lord. Verse 2 is a lot. Um, can you pray that? Uh, don't, it, it's not to be answered to me. I mean, do you feel okay with where you are with God right now so that you could say, have at it, God. Examine me. Try me. Test, well, my mind. That's my thoughts. Test my heart. It's not the organ. It's the, uh, in Hebrew, it's the essence of a person's being. Look in every nook and cranny. I'm not hiding anything. There's no hypocrisy. I guess hypocrisy would be the opposite maybe of integrity. Um, are you able to can you pray Psalm 2 do you feel okay with where you are with God it's possible to be a Christian and still not feel okay because you may there may be a lack of integrity so I'm just wondering um, you, you don't have to bow your heads or anything you, you, can, you can transact some business with God even as we continue the class doesn't it take a lot of energy not to be right with God? It does. I've been there. You've been there. It just doesn't feel good. It feels better to be at peace with God. Doesn't it feel good to say, oh, God, as a matter of integrity, I come before you now. It ju you know what that's like. It just feels. So I'm just wondering if you may want to straighten out some things even as we go on. Just make sure there's no obstacle with you and God. You know how the Bible says pray without ceasing? I don't think that means that, that to pray all the time. I mean, sometimes you sleep, right? Sometimes you eat. So it can't literally mean you're praying without ceasing. It means to be at such peace with God that you could pray all the time. You, you're already rightly situated with God. So anytime something comes to mind, you can immediately talk to the Father about it. You don't have to straighten out anything because everything is straightened out. So I'm just 
Have you ever been, don't answer this, in a situation where you know things are not exactly right between you and God and something really, really important comes up? It might even concern one of your family members and you're moved to pray for them and, ooh, something stops you. Uh, there's no preacher around or anything like that. He's called the Holy Spirit who tells you, you can come, you know, it's fine. But, but things are not right, are they? You've been drifting. You might even have been sinning. As a first uh, order of affairs, you need to confess it. You need to repent it. You need to accept forgiveness. And, you know, now let's, let's hear what's the rest of what's on your mind. So let me encourage you. Be a verse two person. It just feels right. Charlie? Um, the Lord says that I might hide that word in my heart oh, yeah. and I might not sin against it. Oh, that's good. Whenever we get in certain predicaments, those scriptures come back. Yeah. I agree with you, Charlie. And, uh, Charlie's talking about the word of God, which we've hidden in our heart, used by the spirit of God to um, give us a distaste for the things that once used to be tasteful. So um, we, we kill ourselves, don't we? When, when we're divided, we know we're redeemed, if we are, redeemed Christ followers. We, we know what he's done. We believe in him. But if we're divided, that's what our head tells us to be true and we believe in it. But our heart has been surrendered to something maybe it shouldn't be surrendered to. We're tearing ourselves apart. It, that's the lack of in integrity. It, you, 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 you kill off whatever spiritual life there is. In, that's called quenching the spirit. Quenching the spirit and really it's amazingly doesn't take much to unquench the spirit that means to give the spirit control it's to say oh god i have drifted i've taken our fellowship so lightly i've trampled upon it i've practiced sin i've done what i shouldn't i indeed have felt terrible about it it hasn't been right between you and me i admit it i confess it I turn from it and back to you. Thank you, O oh God, for obtaining forgiveness for me 2,000 years ago on a cross. Thank you for loving me in spite of the fact that you saw this coming. Thank you for not only giving me a pardon, but for also allowing me into a relationship with you that lasts for eternity. And now, O oh God, I'm going to act as if it had never happened. Because that's how you're responding. Justification. Just as if I had never sinned. Thank you for casting it behind your back. I'm not going to go back there to retrieve it. And I know you won't. Thank you for separating me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. Now that it's been confessed. Put under the blood of the Lord Jesus. And now, oh God, I'm going to put my head up and shoulders back. Just as if everything is okay between the two of us. Because it is okay between the two of us. And boy, it feels good to be at peace with you, Father. You matter most. I can't promise you this won't happen again. I don't trust me. But I trust if it does. Even then, you will allow me back into fellowship with you because you're the God of all grace. So you can have that conversation right here. Very private, very personal. And just... I don't know, be at peace with, have a, it's a matter of integrity, right?
If you come to church, but you're not at peace with the head of the church, that would be disharmony in, <laughs> in your inner being. Why are you coming? What's the point of coming to church? I don't get it. Why are you in Bible study? Why are you singing? Why? If, it's, if you're not right with the head of the church. So, okay. So David prays verse 2. I surely hope we're okay about doing that as well. And then he says, for your loving kindness. Now, uh, could I just invite you to do something? I'd like you to memorize two words. I think you could do it. God's loving kindness. God's loving kindness. So I'll count to three. Let's see if you got it right. One, two, three. Okay, so uh, I think it's a comfort to dwell on those two words. So that's why I wanted you to memorize them. <laughs> it means everything. That's why I don't want us to read past it too fast. It means no, m no matter what, everything else notwithstanding, there is the reality of God's loving kindness. I lost a job. God's loving kindness. I'm ill. God's loving kindness. I'm disturbed about the world situation. God's loving kindness. I've drifted from the God I know. God's loving kindness. It's everything you need. It's everything we need. It can get us over everything. David said, your loving kindness is before my eyes. It's a figurative expression to indicate that's his focal point. You have to be focused on something. <clears throat> Let's make this our focus. Two words, God's loving kindness. It doesn't mean you could ignore other things, but I don't think we should focus on those other things. Go ahead, brother. Very well said, uh, if you heard it. It was, it's so well said. And uh, our brother said he's amazed at how David so much looked forward, uh, looked to the love of God, and he didn't even know Christ. If I can, uh, so the implication is how much more us? God's loving kindness. I'm not up to par. God's loving kindness. I can't do what others do. God's loving kindness. I don't feel like talking to God today. God's loving kindness. It's everything. It's every two words. Memorize them. Insert those two words into the formula, into the equation of life, and be lifted up. Yes, brother. I, uh, <coughs> Yes. I would never say 
Yes. Uh, let me repeat, and this is a good thing. Uh, our brother is saying, how do you have the confidence to, t to pray what David did in verse 2? How do you come before God and say, try me? And Clifton was saying, uh, I don't exactly want him to. I know, I know the stuff that's true of me. Um, how do you feel comfortable about that? How would you answer? That is a good question. How would you answer? Anyone have any response? How do you say to God? Yeah, go ahead, Dwayne. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Thanks. Yeah. God's loving kindness. And, and brother, that's what it is. It's not that we're denying that. It's not that we're saying God won't find anything. <laughs> we're saying, though you will, because I'm a human, I'm imperfect, and I still have a sin nature. Based on your loving kindness, you'll still have me. You'll still love me. Yeah. And it's forgiven. It's washed in the blood. The presence of those sin areas may still be there, but the penalty has been removed by God's loving kindness. And based on God's loving kindness, one day the presence of my inclination to sin won't even be there anymore. You'll see in a second that David talks about a washing. Uh, he's talking about in water, the washing with which we have been washed <laughs> is the ultimate fulfillment. And that's how we could have confidence. Not that there's nothing uh, blameworthy, <laughs> but that we will not be blamed because of God's loving kindness. Thank you, Dwayne. <laughs> that's excellent. Because of God's loving kindness uh, kept before David's eyes, look what he said, I've walked in your truth. So look, it's one thing to know God's truth, the word of God. That's really good, but that's not good enough. It, then you have to do it. So we want to know it so as to do it, and that's what it means to walk in it. Notice David first is basking in the reality of God's loving kindness, and then he says, and I've walked in your truth. If the order was reversed, I think you get a whole different reality. For instance, if we comply with the word of God, that's a very good thing. If we do what God tells us to do, that's a good thing. But if we do it for the wrong reason, that's not a good thing. So if I do what God wants me to do because I'm afraid of what he'll do to me if I don't, that's the wrong motivation for obedience. The only proper motivation for obedience is a response to God's loving kindness. Now, that's a very dogmatic statement, but I think it's borne out by the scriptures. If you are motivated to do the things of the Christian life, going to church, praying, attending Bible study, um, um, giving, if you're motivated to do those things, but if you are improperly motivated to do those things, then those are not good things. <laughs> That's like, um, remember Cain and Abel, one's offering was acceptable and one's was not? Which one's was not? I don't remember. One of those guys. I don't remember. So it, it's not that, that, that the offering is necessarily deficient. It's the attitude of the offeror. So if we're doing these marvelous things, uh, which we ought to do as Christians, but, but if our attitude towards it is to appease God, to win God's favor, to get God off our back, to keep him from hating us, it's an invalidated offering. It's, an, it's like offering something with a defect. 
The only proper biblical motivation for offering anything to God is a response to his love. That's why Paul says, for the love of Christ, you have to trust me on this, the Greek construction is not our love for him, it's his love for us. For the love of Christ constrains us. It doesn't say the fear of Christ. The love of Christ. His love towards us melts us, moves us, motivates us to gratitude, the likes of which makes us want to do what is pleasing to him. You know why we want to do what's pleasing to him? It's because we know we don't have to do what's pleasing to him. Now, I made another dogmatic statement there, but it's for a reason. I don't have to do anything to have as much of God's favor as I presently do. I have his favor on the merits of Christ, who I have accepted as my Savior. His righteousness has been imputed to my account. I don't have any of my own. I don't have to do a thing. And I still have all of God's favor. So then why do I? Because he loves me. I want to put a smile on his face. I want to get up on Sunday morning, even when I don't want to get up on Sunday morning. Because I know it's pleasing to the Father to have his kids hang out together and worship him. I want to give, even though I know I don't really want to give. It's not in my nature to give. It's in my nature to take. Yours too. What moves me to give? I don't have to. I'm not giving an account to anyone. We don't sign pledge cards around here, you know. We don't do that. It's really wonderful. We yearn to do it. Why? Oh, God, thank you for the opportunity you've given me to say thank you. I don't have to talk to him. I want to. Why? He loves to hear from me. I don't have to read the Bible ever, ever again. I want to. Why? It's my Father's Word. He wants me to know about Him. He reveals Himself, His ways, His values, His thoughts through it. I don't want to ignore what He's saying. It pleases Him when I pay attention. Can you see the different motivation? Look, if you're motivated to do right things by the wrong motivation, that's called religion. Religion has a list of do's and don'ts and you do it whether you feel like it or not. So you could have someone who's the biggest scoundrel in the world who's showing up for, uh, I don't know, Saturday night mass. Why? Because you have to. (laughs) I'm not showing up for Saturday night mass unless I want to. And I want to. Why? I want to be pleasing to God. So if you're improperly motivated in the doing of good things, you're probably religious. And you're not constrained by the love of God. God's loving kindness, that's the motivation for us doing all that, all that we do. I'm belaboring the point because I run, I run into so many Christians who are carrying such a load of guilt and shame. Okay, if you want to. But you need not. For Jesus forgave the guilt of my sin. I have nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> I'm a child of the king. You confess your sin. You make 
no excuses. You accept God's total and complete forgiveness. You accept his adoption into his family and you press on. Grace greater than all my sin. I mean, we sing amazing grace, but so many of us don't seem to be fully graced. We're always down in the mouth. Doggone it. It's no wonder why non-Christians aren't uh, attracted. I'll tell you what living proof is. Not that you're a religiously ethical, moral person. That's not living proof. Living proof is you're a human with a proclivity to sin who couldn't be in better standing with God than you presently are because you stand at the foot of the cross on the merits of Christ, not your own. So I would be careful about doing stuff because if you don't... I was a missionary overseas one time in, uh, in Germany, and I remember... I think I went with... Probably three weeks. Probably for three weeks. I I never prayed to God. I didn't read in his word. Um, I went through the motions. Why? I didn't feel like it. I just was drifting. That's all there is to it. And then, it, don't misunderstand, I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying to you, I didn't lose God's favor. I grieved him. Because he knows it's best for me to stay in close communion with him for sure. But then when it was time to repent and turn back to him, I didn't offer, you know, an endless succession of bulls and goats. <laughs> I didn't make promises I couldn't keep. I didn't say, I'm going to make up for it by going to church 18 times a week. I'm going to fast. There's nothing wrong with fasting. Don't me wrong. I didn't say any of those. I'm giving money to the poor. I didn't say anything. I just said, God, there's something wrong with me. I just love the things you hate. I love sin, and you hate it, and I confess it. I need to love what you love and hate what you hate, and I can't do it. Unless you have free reign in my life. And I have quenched that. Whoops, I just did something. Uh, but I confess it, and I repent. You know, that means a change of direction. I'm turning back to you. And, and I remember saying, God, thanks not for going anywhere, even when I did. Thanks for always being where I could find you. And I remember doing that and pressing on like it never happened. Standing up in front of other Christians, absolutely unashamed. Why should I beat myself as if the beatings applied to my own Savior weren't enough? I'm not going to diminish the totality of his suffering by making myself suffer. You confess, you repent, and you accept. This is the hardest thing for us. Accept forgiveness of sin. God's loving kindness is the motivation for obedience. The most obedient Christians are the ones who are basking in the light of God's grace and they're bursting uh, in an, it, it, with a desire to say thank you. 
You want communion with the Lord. You want to serve the Lord. You want to do what he wants you to do because you would die if you didn't have a way to express your gratitude to him for his loving kindness. Don't misunderstand God-fearing. To be God-fearing means to be God-respecting. It doesn't mean to be shaking in the presence of God. If you are, I just wonder if you've been gospelized. If you've been fully good news, good news just as I am. Yeah. Without one plea, except this one, my Savior's blood was shed for me. It's not just the words of a song, it's truth. So David, notice the order. Your loving kindness is before my eyes. If I could add, embellish, then he would say, and that's the motivation getting me to walk in your truth. And David is saying, there's all kinds of people accusing me of stuff, but God, I'm performing for an audience of one. You're the one. I'm focused on your love, and in order to show gratitude, I'm walking in your truth, and now I'll pick up the pace. Oh, wow. Is it that late already? Okay. We're going to press on it. Look, I'm belaboring the point because... Uh, hey, sit in my office or any of our offices... Too many of us are struggling us with, with guilt. Don't misunderstand. If there's sin, you're convicted of it by the Holy Spirit. You confess it, and then it's done. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying guilt after repentance and confession. That's just of the evil one. That's not of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he, David says, I will pick up the pace. Uh, he doesn't sit with deceitful men. He doesn't hang out with pretenders. He doesn't take his place in the assembly of evildoers. In other words, you know how you're known by your company? He's saying, here's a, a, a defense God. I'm not hanging out with these guys. The very guys who are accusing me of doing that, which is not acceptable, I don't even hang out with them. He says, verse 6, I'll wash my hands in innocence, and then I'm going to go about your altar. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. That's a reference to ancient ceremonial practice in Israel. The priest would wash his hands, and then literally go about the altar in his ministrations. He had to wash first because he too had a sin nature. And he couldn't just uh, minister at the altar without indicating his need to be cleansed. And so there would be these ceremonial cleansings with water. It wouldn't actually, it wasn't, there's no soap involved or anything like that. It was a symbol of defilement and need for cleansing. David was not a priest. He was not a member, of, he was not a Levitical priest, but he said, yeah, but for me too, a non-priest, when I enter into worship, when I come to your holy place, when I enter into the congregation of those who are calling on your name, I, I'm lifting up holy hands. I've washed my hands in innocence. I can go about your altar. That's kind of the, what he's saying. If I can bring it to today, it means when you pull into the parking lot of this church and before you go into the auditorium or the hall or wherever you go, you make sure you're okay with God. <laughs> you wash your hands in the blood of the Lord Jesus. You say, oh, God, there's a sin area in my life. I confess it. I know it's been covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's not water that's the cleansing agent anymore. It's the ultimate cleansing agent, which is the blood of the Lord Jesus. And then you come in. You don't just casually come in with disharmony in your life, thinking the God who searches our hearts doesn't see it. You get it right out there, and then you walk around the altar. 
You say, I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. There's nothing separating me from, uh, from my God. And then you take up your place around the altar and you do this, verse 7. That I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare your wonders. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Don't take my soul away with sinners nor my life from, uh, with men of bloodshed. You know what David's praying in verse 9? Make a separation between good guys and bad guys. Pretty loose paraphrase. But he's saying these people who are accusing me, of, uh, they, don't, they hate you. They don't know you. Don't treat me like them. And you know what's good news? Here's good news. God makes a separation amongst peoples. Did you know that? This is interesting. All people are the same in that all people have a sin nature. But not all people are treated the same in that God makes a separation. Do you know God is merciful to some people, but not to others? You know why? Only some people want God to be merciful. He's merciful to anyone who will receive his mercy. So though we have in common sin, we don't have in common the same destiny. Because God has made a separation between those who have the Son and those who don't have the Son. And then it goes on to say, verse 11, as for me, I'll walk in my integrity. Similar to verse 1, only different. In verse 1, he says, I'm living according to integrity. In verse 11, he says, and I shall continue to in the future. And then the closing verse, my foot stands on a level place. Now, wait just a second. <clears throat> How in the world do you get from verse 1 to verse 12? Verse 1, I'm in trouble. People are out to get me. They're accusing me falsely. Vindicate me, O God. Verse 12, my foot's on a level place. I'm on solid ground. I'm not slipping. Everything's cool. I'm not unstable. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. He sang himself into it. Maybe not literally, but he realized God put a song in his heart. He starts out in verse 1. He pours out his heart before God. In the process of doing it, he remembers who he's talking to. Oh, I've put your loving kindness before me. I've walked in your truth. You're going to vindicate me. Everything is cool. He didn't change God one bit. Why? God's perfect. He doesn't have to change. He changed himself by coming into the presence of God and pouring out his heart. And so he moved himself from verse 1 to verse 12 simply by pouring out his heart before God. This is not new. It's just a reminder. We ought to talk to God more. I was visited by friends from Louisiana in the last class. They were at my church there, and uh, uh, we were reminiscing about different things. And once there was a lady there who called me and left a message on my phone in the church office, but I couldn't take it because I was gone for three days. And when I got back, I listened to the phone messages. Hers was one. Uh, she said, Brother Stu, you call me right away. Something is really troubling me. Well, it was three days later. I called back and I apologized. I said, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just got back into town. Just got your message. Are you all right? She said, oh, you don't have to apologize. Everything is fine. Because I couldn't reach you, I talked to God. <laughs> and, and she said, he, he's a lot more effective than you are. As she said, yeah, this dear lady is really wonderful. She forgot for a moment how accessible he was and tried to access me. But, but even at our best, we can't, we can't be 
in all places at all times. We're not available at all times. We're not omnipresent. And not only that, we don't always say the right things even when we are available. I know this from experience. So, but, but God is always right on time. He's always available. This is our privilege. We can be Psalm 26 people. You start out with a verse 1 kind of a situation, whatever it is, and you just bask in the reality of what God is like and that he knows your name and that and that you belong to him and he'll take you the way you are and and that he's not disappointed with you though you may feel disappointed yourself and 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 and, and then and then at the end you go you know what i'm feeling better my feet are on a solid on solid ground on a level place in the congregations i'll bless the name of the lord you see this throughout the Psalms. He starts in one emotional frame of mind. He ends in an entirely different one. He starts with petition. He ends with praise. We could do the same thing. The reason why God has preserved Psalm 26 for us down to this very day is that as he was with David, he intends to be with us. He didn't let him down. <laughs> Though David let him uh, God down on many occasions, God never let David down. Uh, God never let him go. God never gave up on him. David knew his standing was a function of the, the merits of Christ, uh, of, uh, of God himself. And he sang himself out of all of his stuff by singing through the day the truths about God. I know I'm, it's a little maybe simple and we're looking for something more complicated. But there's nothing like being at peace with God. All right. Don't be guilty. Don't be just if there's sin to be guilty over, confess it and press on. I'm in the gym yesterday. Okay, just one more minute. I'm not a bold witness. I want to be, but I'm not. So, uh,. I felt a little perked up. There's a guy there about my age, maybe a little older. I said, hey, how you doing? That's all. He said, I'll let you know in a few days. What do you mean? Exercise. He said, I don't know if it's going to hurt, hurt me or help me. I said, yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, and we're making small talk. And one thing leads to another. I don't know what the deal is. And uh, uh, Oh, he was talking to me about uh, Natalie Cole. He loves Natalie Cole. Natalie Cole was on TV. She spoke about her cocaine stuff, which has caused a lot of medical problems at this point in her life. Nat King Cole's daughter, you know what I'm talking about? Natalie Cole. And I remember telling him, you know, I can relate to her situation. He says, what do you mean? I said, I should be dead. I shouldn't be here talking to you here in the locker room. Uh, you know, I was a drug and drinking fool. And uh, I... I, I, I just was empty as could be, and uh, I became a Christian. I, I found the Lord Jesus as my Savior, and he filled the void of my life. And the guy said, well, did you stop right away? I said, yeah, to tell you the truth, I did. It's like the need to do that stuff wasn't, wasn't there anymore. And he said, well, are you still tempted? I said, oh, yeah. And he said, well, well how could you feel so good with God if you're still tempted? I said, no, but that's the point, don't you see? Don't, and, and I began to talk to him about grace. No, he took me the way I am, and and he knows about all this stuff, and, and he can help me, but he's forgiven me and everything. And, and I just thought to, to myself, oh, my goodness, I'm a wipeout. 
but I don't have any guilt or shame about it. <laughs> That's crazy. Don't misunderstand. I don't play into those things anymore. But I know about what I'm made of. But God's loving kindness, even in a locker room, with two guys standing there half naked before one. Never mind. You don't need to know all that. <laughs> I mean, look at us. Goodness. Put a towel. I mean, we're just us. We're just created in the image of God, redeemed by God, loved by God. It just makes you want to shout it from the mountaintops. It just wants you to hurry up and get to church on Sunday and praise God in the congregation of believers. It just makes you want to wash your hands in the blood of the Lord Jesus. There's peace between you and he so you can sing the songs out without any check in your spirit. Ah, come on. Don't do that guilt and shame thing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. He washed it white. Yes, no. Go ahead, brother. You have the last word. I notice the job's coming to an end. You're having a baby. And then the third thing, here's a new job. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, to God be the glory. Absolutely wonderful. Baby's name, Stuart? Going to be what? Cross? Cross? <gasps> Get out of town. <laughs> better than. Yeah, yeah, better than Stuart, too. <laughs> Lord Jesus, how could it be that you would offer to us the ultimate, that is your shed blood, and not freely also with that sacrifice give us all things like a baby? and a new job when it is needed most. Just another testimony of God's loving kindness. We got it, Lord. Two words which will be the focus of our attention. Your loving kindness. Thank you for loving us the way you do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you folks. See you next time.